Mark uh, chapter 5, and we're going to start with uh, verse 35. Now, who are, the, who, are the, who are the three, four main characters, who are the four main characters that you've heard about so far? Jesus, very good. Yes, see? See, kids, you got to hop on it fast like Bill. All right? Other one has a J name, at least for us. What is it? Iris, okay? His daughter, right? And the woman, right. So, so four main characters. Yes, the crowd is a character, right, but I just, the four main ones, four main ones. Well, anyway, we'll talk about some things about each one of those characters here in a minute. So listen now for the word of the Lord. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house, Jairus' house, to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But overhearing what he said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately, the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And at this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. That's the end of the reading. All right, so who in here has a family? Okay, come on. Not everybody's hand is up. Not everybody's got a family? Okay, oh, oh, maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe, did you get kicked out of your family? I mean, it's, I mean, I'm not being serious, serious, but I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but... I mean, there are people, right, that, that get kicked out of their family. They get disowned. And then all of a sudden, they don't have that family anymore. I mean, family can be a really, a really interesting thing. I mean, both Jennifer and I have, we actually have really wonderful families. We're, we're, we, we often talk about how we are really an anomaly. Like, we actually mostly like our family, right? And, well, we think they like us, too, but I mean... We could be delusional that way, but family is really interesting. And, and in some families, there's lots of rules about how you're supposed to behave, how, how you're supposed to do things um, in order to stay in the good graces of, of the family. And, and to this day, you know, um, depending, on, depending on the culture and structure of the family, it, you know, it may be the father who's the one who decides who's in and who's out and, and what happens and whether you've dishonored the family or not. Or in some other families, it may be the mother who, who has that kind of power about that. And there are very certain rules about how that happens. And, and some great literature has been written, especially in the 20th century, about, about that and about um, people who have, um, who have had to deal with 
um, breaking the rules of their family in order to become who they are and to do what they want to do, especially in the Middle East, in the Middle East it's still very prevalent. There's lots of lots of mores, we call them, or lots of rules about how you stay within your family. In the, in the family of the Hebrews, um, lots, of, lots of rules. Of course, we have the Ten Commandments. But then around the Ten Commandments are all these other rules about, about how you uh, remain in good relationship with God and with the community. And you know all about those, the rules of, I mean, you don't know all the rules, but about whether you're clean or unclean, whether you can go to the synagogue or not, all that sort of thing. And if you weren't that, if you were unclean, or if you were unclean for a long time, then you you basically got ostracized and set outside. It's almost like you got cut off from your family. And we know that in, in reading that literature and listening to people talk about that, even if their family is not the, the most functional family. Getting cut off from family, getting kicked out, being isolated from those who you were supposed to be family with is very difficult. Very difficult. And so with that framework, I want to I walk through um, this scripture uh, just a little bit. Because there are some really interesting things about, about family in here, I think. So okay, let's just let's just let's just start out with um, let's just start out with verse twenty one, where when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, okay, do do you remember if you were here last week? Do you remember where he where he went last week? What what? He went for a nap. Yes, he had a nap, but he was in the boat. But and but they were going across to the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. Now they've come back. So now he's back in the Galilee. Um, now he's come back in what they still call the Galilee. And, and so he's come back. So, so, so this is his people. This, we're, on the, we're, on the, we're on the Jewish, the Hebrew side of things. Um, we're on the Israel side of things. And so, so it says, uh, comes to him and a great ca- a crowd gathered there. And because while he was over there, while he was over on the other side, he... Um, if, if you remember this, he cast out a legion of demons out of um, a Gentile. And then when he left, he told the, the guy wanted to go with him. And he said, no, I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go tell your people. So it's a very small area. So we're assuming if this is going on over a number of days, that then the word gets back around and, and, um, and there's this large crowd that, that shows up. And it's just, I love this. There's so many details in this. That's what's interesting. In Mark, Mark is very a sparse writer, but in this particular one, he adds in all these little things. It's just interesting. When Jesus had crossed again on the boat to the other side, so he's back home, a great crowd gathered, and he was by the sea. Really? Okay. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly. So right here, so this is a leader of the synagogue... So this is someone who's in a respected position. So um, let's just say this is Faith Alejandro, clerk of session, right? Leader in the congregation, right? And, 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 and let's just say it's a smaller community, 
Everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows, everybody knows her position. And here comes this dude. Now, he's a teacher. He's a rabbi. They, they think he's a hero, all this. And, and she throws herself down at his feet, which is a position of worship. He's already crossing lines. He's already, Jairus is, breaking barriers. Why? His daughter's sick. His daughter's sick. I don't remember, I don't know if you remember when Tom Leahy uh, was here, uh, the founder of the Beacon Tree Foundation. One of the things that Tom Leahy often says is people say you can't put a price on your children's health. And he said, my wife and I did. Because they were willing to do whatever it took. Whatever it took to get them to the right schools, to get them to the right therapist, to get them the right medication, to do whatever it took to get them healthy. To help them live their lives, which they are now. Which is a wonderful story. Not every story ends up that way. But Jairus comes here and, and he's in, I think he's in that position, you know. My, my little daughter, we find out she's 12 years old, um, is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So somewhere along the line, Jairus has heard about Jesus and and has this belief that he can just, you know, whatever, magically, we would say, lay his hands on on his daughter and she'll be be absolutely fine. And then it it just very simply says, so he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know what a large crowd is at this time in history, right? And what how, what Jesus is describing here, what a large crowd is. Because we, I mean, you know, we've seen it on TV, right? With all the celebrity culture we have now, all the paparazzi and all the whatever people following people out of restaurants or into the gym or, you know, all this craziness that goes on. So just imagine that, a little bit of that kind of chaos surrounding Jesus as he's, as he's traveling to wherever it is. I would guess it's not that far a large crowd follows him and presses him in. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. Suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. So, so she's been bleeding for 12 years. Now, in the in, in the Jewish culture, in, in the Jewish religious practice, when a woman was bleeding during that time of the month, they went off to their own place. There was a tent or a house where all the women who, who were menstruating during that time, that's where they went. Because they were unclean. They were unclean. That was, they, they could not they, could, they weren't supposed to be around other people. They weren't supposed to be touched by other people unless those other people were unclean or, or, they, or those people would be made unclean. And so now this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. And it says she spent all of her money on doctors. Well, so, I mean... I, I know many of you have probably had uh, medical things and you've probably felt like you've spent all your money on doctors. But it says she spent all that she had in order to try. Because here's, here's what happened. Probably because this is happening to her, 
for 12 years, she's probably, she probably has to live on her own. Because after this amount of time, people are like, what? why has God cursed her? She's probably living on her own. People would not touch her. And we know, we know, we know that human touch is so important. We know that in the, in the beginning of life, it's very important. If you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you don't touch a baby, they will just basically roll over to the side of the crib and they'll die because they don't receive human touch. Or, or, or if they grow up because they're actually getting food and whatever, um, their emotions are going to be all crazy out of whack because they won't know how to interact with other people. We also know that on the other end of things is when people get older and they move into retirement centers and, and this sort of thing, if they're on their own or if they're living in their home by themselves, that, that, um, that without human touch, their lives are just so, so incomplete. So just imagine 12 years of not being able to worship to go to the synagogue, of not being able to be around friends, of being really set out from your family because because the you know her Jewish family that that religious family she would have been part of that so now she's really not a part of the family she's been disconnected she's been cut off she spent all that she had and she grew and she was no better she grew worse she'd heard about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. There's, there's, lots of, there's lots of hay made about this particular phrase because depending on the word that's used here, it can mean uh, all, all, um, all Jewish men at that time, if they were faithful and practicing, and you'll still see this today if you see some more Orthodox folks, they, 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 wear, they wear a garment that then has tassels on the four corners. And you'll see those hanging out underneath their shirts. You can see it around Richmond today. You especially see it in Israel, but in New York, but, but definitely you'll see it around Richmond sometimes. Um, and so we believe that Jesus is probably wearing a garment similar to that. that the, and, so that so, and, they, and, and part of the Jewish belief was that there was pa- God's power in some way resided in, in those tassels. And so a lot of hay gets made about the word that's used here. But anyway, so she touches his, touches, uh, his, his cloak if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. Again, uh, this is the mark word, right? Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, power had gone forth from him. Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? Or who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, who touched me? He looked around, all around to see who had done it. Now, think about what she did. She's been ostracized. She's not supposed to be in the midst of people. There's a great crowd. I'm sure she's bumping into them. She's making everybody unclean around her. Right? She's crossing lines. She's breaking barriers in order to get to Jesus because she believes that if she just touches him, touches his clothes, that she will be made well. Willing to do anything, cross the lines, break the barriers, to, to experience the power of God. He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, 
came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine the fear she might have had. One, she's a woman in this time. Two, she's been, she's been thrown. No, nobody else knows what just happened but her and Jesus maybe. Nobody else knows. Everybody, everybody in the community would know that she's an unclean woman, that she's been having these hemorrhages all this time, that she shouldn't be touching anybody, shouldn't be near anybody. And now the, you know, the rabbi comes and, and says, okay, who touched me? I mean, do you think he said, who touched me? No, he probably said, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? Loud enough so it might have, might have scared them. So she comes in fear and trembling. She falls down before him in a position of what? Worship. Position of worship. Just like Jairus, right? Falls down at his feet. Told him the whole truth. And then he says to her, Daughter. I don't know if you noticed before here. She doesn't have a name. Before this, she's just the hemorrhaging woman. What a horrific title that would be. She doesn't have a name. But here, Jesus, in a sense, brings her back into the family. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Well, at least according to Mark and what's going on with her, she, it seems like she's already healed. There's lots of debate about whether Jesus heals her or God heals her. It's, it's interesting, you know, we would as scholars, we like to get into these silly angels on the head of a pen sort of, sort of debates. But it is interesting that Jesus, Jesus does not say a word. He does not, he does not physically touch her. Um, it's just that she, she has this unrelenting belief that if she just touches him, she's going to be made well. And she is. And, you know, we would say the power of God, the power of her faith in God heals her. Now, while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house. So now we're switching back over, right? So we have Jairus' story, and then stop, full stop. Now we have her story and her healing, and now we go back to Jairus. Some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Very pragmatic, very practical. But after overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader, he saw a commotion. Um, again, much made about this. He saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. It, oftentimes in, in uh, Jewish practice, uh, if, if you had enough means, you would hire people to, to cry, to wail to weep at your, uh, when somebody died. I guess because you're important. I, it's an interesting thing. Um, so, and there's a commotion, they're weeping and they're wailing loudly 
And when he enters, he says to him, why do you make a commotion? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. As you do. Right? I mean, really? What's this dude going to do? She's dead. And he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by her hand and he said to her, Talithia kum, which means little girl, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was about 12 years of age. Now I don't know what to make of that, why that's important, except for the woman had been suffering with hemorrhages for 12 years. So there, maybe, maybe there's something in the storytelling that, that makes that um, important. But I just, I just lift it up because it's a detail that's added. And you've got to pay attention to details that are added. At this, they were overcome with amazement. Of course, she's dead. And now she's alive, according to them. Jesus says she's only sleeping. We know that sometimes sleeping was used as a euphemism for death at this time. But here's what's interesting is, ultimately, both of the women in this story, the woman who's, who, was, who was healed from her um, hemorrhaging, and the girl were both unclean. A dead body is not clean. And so Jesus, Jesus now breaks the barriers, crosses the lines by going in where there's a dead body and touching it. Makes himself unclean. To touch the child. So now, he's breaking these barriers, doing all of that. And so we have this over and over again. Jairus breaks the barriers, crosses the lines. Um, The woman, uh, the healed woman breaks the barriers, crosses the lines. Jesus is breaking barriers and crossing lines, going in, into the the room um, where this dead girl is. And they do this, all of them do this because of this belief, this faith that there is a power of God that is beyond our understanding that can do things that, that we, we might not even believe can be done if we're just left to our own devices. And we also know that, I mean, so he, with the little girl, I mean, he brings her back into the family, right? Because she was dead, so she's... He brings her back living into the family again. He brings the family back. And it's just the power of how we are shaped by human relationships and by the families that we're part of and we're shaped by and made human by the relationships that are around us. Now I want to talk about the healings here because so many times in our lives we don't get the healings that we ask for. I don't know about you, but there have been things in my, in, my own, in my personal life that I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and prayed for and haven't come out the way that I wanted them to come out. So when I read stories like this, sometimes I get angry. Where's my healing? Where's the healing for that daughter? Where's, where's the reconciliation for that family that's estranged and broken? So if, if you're feeling any of that, I just want to say it's, that's, you know, like Mr. Rogers taught us, feelings are welcome here. 
Feelings are welcome here. God is in the midst of all of that. And ultimately, I, you know, and, and I, I hate this, pastor is supposed to have answers, I, supposedly. But I, I often have more questions in this area than I have answers. There's a mystery to what God is doing. These are just two stories right here that are back to back about Jesus healing. How many people in that crowd wanted healing, but Jesus... They didn't receive it that day. We don't know. We don't have their stories. I'm sure there were some. We know that in Jesus' in Jesus's, uh, ministry, he didn't heal everybody that he encountered. He didn't fix everything. And in some, and in some places, he, he let people go off in their own dysfunction <laughs> to find their own path. But what I do know is that as you read these stories, there is a power in family and in relationships because God is a relationship. It's a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is a deep mystery. And there is power in relation. There is power in the way that we encounter each other There is power in the way that we cross lines and break barriers to make relationships with people who are not like us, who are not from here, who act differently, talk differently, who have different experiences. And and it's the power of God that enables us to be vulnerable enough to walk into those situations, maybe with some fear, but to be able to be opened up and to see where it goes. And maybe sometimes it doesn't turn out the way that we want. We don't get the great friend that we wanted to from across the aisle or or across the street or whatever. But it's the power of God that helps us to take those steps and do those things, to speak out on behalf of others, to make relationship with others across those lines that people that have said that you're out of the family. Your actions are outside of what's okay. And it's God's power that gives us the power to cross those lines and break those barriers because... This God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, this God, this relationship God calls us into a family. When all other family has left us behind, we're called into this family that's united not by blood, but by water and the Spirit. And that is a bond that cannot be broken Because Jesus gave everything so that that family might be held together in love and in hope. And in this family, we all have a name. We are all sons and daughters. We are all beloved children. No matter what we're going through, no matter what healing we haven't had, no matter what healing we have had, no matter what's going on with us in our lives, God is calling us into this family to cross lines and break barriers and be there for each other, to hold each other accountable, to hold each other close, to give comfort and also challenge. And sometimes, knowing that you're part of that family, being welcomed into that family, and being someone who who offers that welcome into this family to others... 
is all the healing we'll ever need. Amen.